We're on the record. I'm Sheila Cass. Good morning. From Baltimore's brick row houses built in the late 19th century to the wooden dome that has crowned the Maryland State House since 1789, historic architecture is all around us. Preserving aging structures, both ordinary homes and revered centers of government, requires training and skill. In November, the Maryland Department of Labor approved a new registered apprenticeship sponsored by the Campaign for Historic Trades. These apprenticeships will train a new generation of tradespeople to steward heritage sites. The Campaign for Historic Trades is a national program of Preservation Maryland, the statewide nonprofit dedicated to protecting and revitalizing historic sites. The campaign is also partnered with the National Park Service's Historic Preservation Training Center. Today is an encore presentation of our conversation from last month with Nicholas Redding, President and CEO of Preservation Maryland and the Campaign for Historic Trades. We also spoke with Natalie Henshaw, Director of the Campaign for Historic Trades and the owner of Henshaw Preservation, a company in Savannah, Georgia, that specializes in window restoration and historic masonry. First, I asked Nicholas Redding to describe exactly what is the historic trades industry. So when we talk about historic trades, the way that we define it is it's any type of skill or trade that's necessary to restore, rehabilitate, maintain a historic structure. Um, And so that can mean everything from um, maintaining historic wood windows to carpentry to masonry to the complex and intricate roofing that you find in a historic building. Well, take it further. Describe to me where people might end up working. Oh, right. Well, I mean, you find people doing this all across the country. Um, and certainly here in Maryland, you see it everywhere because of the age of our building stock. So um, anything that has to do with rehabilitating an older structure is a part of this industry. Um, In particular, we have a lot of firms here in Maryland, as do uh, communities all across the country, that focus on this work, um, that exclusively uh, focus on the necessary skills associated with restoring a historic structure. But we also not only find them in the private sector, we find them in the public sector. Um, The individuals and uh, teams charged with maintaining some of our nation's most iconic historic resources are a part of this. And so it spans everything from, like you said in your introduction, the the Statehouse Dome to, uh, you know, a a row home in Bolton Hill uh, and everything in between to, you know, a farmhouse in Carroll County. Um, There are a multitude of different types of resources that require this type of skill set. Natalie, how will the campaign build an apprenticeship network? We had a very large preservation network to begin with. It's been something that our entire sector has been working for for the last 50 years. And so when we started this program out a few years ago, it was talking to that network about the needs. So we've done a lot of work in connecting with those people in advance to design this and also starting to make some spaces where that conversation can continue. We have like a monthly drop-in call for program administrators and other stakeholders to catch up, find out what each other are doing across the country, meet each other and network. We also are, we had our first this year and it's probably going to be biannual, but a national convening, the American Historic Trade Summit, where we can meet in person to talk about these things. 
Tell me about the training that an apprenticeship gets. It it will include mm-hmm. online courses, but that's not the whole thing, right? No. An apprenticeship isn't necessarily a specific training program. It's an overlay of what should happen in a training program. So it's not so much the how things are done, but the what, and it outlines everything. And to my point earlier about working with existing partners, we brought in a lot of existing training programs to help design this. So there are different community colleges that can help provide some of the instruction for apprentices, um, existing training programs for that. But that said, there were still a lot of gaps because there's just a geographic uh, scarcity of these. So our role was to find those gaps and fill them in and make them accessible to people who may or may not live near one of these training programs. So we developed online curriculum. We actually have an online classroom that we're building that people can access, as well as developing a workshop series with trained instructors so we can deploy them into the areas where those are needed. How long does it take to complete an apprenticeship program? It depends on the occupation. So with our apprenticeship program, we actually have multiple occupations registered. One of them is deconstruction technician historic window technician, and preservation carpenter. And our goal is to add in more occupations, again, based on the employer need. And based on the skills need of that job, it determines how long it is. So deconstruction technician is 4,000 hours or two years. Historic window technician is 6,000 hours or three years. And preservation carpenter is 8,000 hours or four years. But you can also have earned credit So if somebody's already been through a training program or has some of the instruction that's relevant to those programs, you can actually start with advanced standing. Nick, that raises a question in my mind. If someone already has a background in masonry or construction, why is specialized training needed? Well, a lot of it has to do with not only the philosophy of preservation, which is how you treat a building, how you go in and approach a historic structure. It sometimes can be slightly different from how you would approach new build construction, um, where you want to retain in a historic structure as much of the original fabric and material as you can. So when you're restoring a historic wood window, you're going to try and save the historic glass and work in such a way that it allows you to do that and not compromise the material. So not only is it a philosophy uh, and, and how you approach a project, but there's also a difference associated in some of the, the tool work and the hand tool work. There's a lot of commonality um, and there's a lot of things that would be very similar. Um, and this would be a great opportunity for somebody who perhaps was uh, in an existing trade but wanted to do something different or wanted to have sort of uh, an even further skill set beyond that. Um, and so there are people who move through the trades and, and move into things like this um, because uh, there's a different approach in, in some ways to the way the work is done and also understanding the materials that you're using. So not just what you're trying to retain, but what you're adding back in. So when you're doing you know historic masonry, making sure that you're using um, the appropriate materials, the appropriate mortar and what that means and, and why those materials need to match. So um, there's a lot of thought and process that goes into that. 
This is On the Record. I'm Sheila Cass speaking with Nicholas Redding, President and CEO of Preservation Maryland and the Campaign for Historic Trades, about creating an apprenticeship pipeline in fields like masonry, roofing, and carpentry. Also with us is Natalie Henshaw, who directs the Campaign for Historic Trades. Natalie, apprentices get paid as they learn. It's not like they're not going to get paid until sometime in the future. When do you expect apprenticeships in Maryland to begin? We have several employers in Maryland that have signed up to the program. They're what what are called participating employers, and they are essentially ready to hire right away. So we want to have some of these apprentices registered and into the program in early 2024. Um, The more participating employers we have, the more apprentices that we can hire. And to elaborate too on what you were saying with the paid part, apprentices are full-time employees of those employers. The apprenticeship offers the structure for the training. It also is coupled with wage increases as you progress through the apprenticeship. So you start at a certain percentage of a journey worker's rate And as you gain your skills and competencies and knowledge, there is a percentage increase as you go along. So you know exactly what you will be earning as you go through your training. Nick, about a year ago, Preservation Maryland did a national study of the historic trades workforce. What did you find? Well, it's, it's an important part of this conversation because it helps us make the case for why these apprenticeships are necessary in that we found if you look across the country, historic tax credits, these are available at the federal and and state and sometimes even the local level um, to help support challenging preservation projects. And if you look at just that universe of the people working on those types of projects and the companies engaged in that in the historic trades, you're looking at nearly a need of of over 10,000 individuals a year just to keep parity with the existing workforce given people retiring, people moving on. Um, So there's a much bigger need than perhaps we were even aware of when we got into this. And that doesn't even take into account um, a whole host of other projects that don't take advantage of tax credits. Um, One of the challenges we had in doing the study is that You'll hear this often, probably hear it on NPR. Um, this this many housing starts uh, were, were reported this month, but the United States doesn't track housing rehabs. <laughs> so we don't really know the universe of rehabilitation projects. So we had to use historic tax credits as, as a way to kind of mark this kind of work. But when you look at the broad implications of this beyond just those numbers that we can track, um, you're talking about tens of thousands um, engaged in this kind of work which I also want to point out makes sense when you look at other studies that have been done. The American Institute of Architects have, over the past couple of years, noted the fact that for the first time since they've been keeping records, more over half of all architecture billings are for the rehab of existing places, not for new construction. So it's, it's part of a bigger trend, and we're going to need more hands capable of rehabbing and restoring buildings um, to keep up with that need that we're seeing all across the country. Natalie, you started your own company. Um, what kinds of projects does Henshaw Preservation take on, and how did you break into the field? Yes, I founded Henshaw Preservation in 2016, just working by myself part-time. I attended Savannah Technical College their Historic Preservation Restoration Program. It's a two-year associate's degree, and I had 
no construction experience prior to that. So it was really a dive into the deep end <laughs> and quite fast. Um, I decided to just embark on my own and uh, start my own projects and ended up specializing in historic window preservation because there is such a huge need and not that many people do it. And another tradesperson told me that once you start with one window project, they just don't stop. And it was very true. So now we have a crew of about five people, all specializing in historic window preservation and doors, so fenestrations. And we only work on residential. So to reemphasize what Nick was saying, when we were designing our labor study, we tried to figure out how to incorporate non-historic tax credit projects in this data analysis. And there just was not a way to do that. So in my entire business for over, you know, five years, we have never worked on a historic tax credit project. So our labor data didn't even get counted in there. So there is a whole host of labor that's unaccounted for. It's a severe underestimation of what we actually need. Nick, becoming a registered apprenticeship provider with the state, what does that get you? Well, I mean, first and foremost, I think it sets it apart as it, it has the stamp of the state on it that this thing matters, um, that this is uh, an important activity that we um, have demonstrated need, that we've put together a pretty compelling um, plan for how, as, as Natalie pointed out, how um, people going through this program will be trained. Um, it also, in, in the state of Maryland and in other places across the country, oftentimes can provide benefits for employers who participate and who take on an apprentice because, you know, as we've pointed out a couple times, they're paid. Um, but when you take somebody on new um, who's learning a new skill, um, that takes you away from perhaps some aspects of the project can slow you down a little bit. And so in recognizing that, the state has certain grant programs that you can apply for as an employer um, if you're taking on an apprentice to help sort of subsidize that cost. And in doing so, it not only allows the apprenticeship program to work, but it allows um, small businesses in particular, like we're talking about, to accelerate their growth, to bring on new employees, to tackle more projects. Um, it really is just a win-win, not only for the industry, um, but for the thing we're here and what we care most about, uh, which is saving historic places. And it comes back to that is, why are we doing this? Why are we championing this? Well, no one else raised their hand. Um, but also, uh, we have seen this critical need um, that if we don't have the trained hands to do this kind of work, then preservation is just good intentions. Well, it's wonderful. Thank you both for telling us about this lofty goal and how you're going to get there. Thanks. Thank you. It's great being here. Thank you so much. Nicholas Redding is president and CEO of Preservation Maryland and the Campaign for Historic Trades. Natalie Henshaw directs the campaign and owns a historic window and door restoration company. When we're back from a break, we meet a grad student studying historic preservation and the director of a deconstruction company. I'm Sheila Cass. Stay with us. I'm Al Waller. I'm Katherine Collinson. And I'm Mahela Vince. In upcoming episodes of Clear Path, Your Roadmap for Life, we'll discuss ways to catch up on retirement savings and the importance of self-care. Tune in to WYPR's website and mobile app, all major podcast platforms, and transamericainstitute.org. Welcome back to On the Record. I'm Sheila Cast. 
Historic structures like homes, churches, stables, cemeteries need specialized care and attention. What kind of training does it take? And how can mentorship improve diversity in this career sector? We're revisiting our conversation from last month about the Campaign for Historic Trades, which aims to train as many as 10,000 apprentices across the country in fields like deconstruction, masonry, carpentry, and other skills needed to maintain and preserve historic structures. The campaign is powered by the nonprofit Preservation Maryland in partnership with the National Park Service's Historic Preservation Training Center. We spoke with Darius Johnson, who is pursuing a graduate degree in preservation at Goucher College in Baltimore County, and with May Boley, the executive director of Repurpose Savannah, a Georgia nonprofit focused on the salvage and reuse of historic buildings. First, I asked Darius Johnson how he got interested in preservation. For me, it's really been a long, windy journey, but... uh, I think more than anything, you know, I really recognize the potential to get involved with just saving the places I care about and the communities that I grew up in. Um, I'm from the eastern shore of Maryland, uh, spent a few years living and working in Baltimore County. So when I moved back home, I really had an interest in getting more connected to my roots. And, you know, I've always come from a family that, you know, told stories about the way they grew up, the way they worked and just the way things were back home in Kent County, Maryland. So history was really my vehicle for getting reconnected to my community. So um, I got involved with a local uh, agricultural land trust that was doing some adaptive reuse projects on the Eastern shore. And I also joined my local heritage area board, Stories of the Chesapeake Heritage Areas. And, you know, those two opportunities really um, illuminated the possibility of being able to make a career, you know, really leveraging the heritage that was all around me. And, you know, the opportunity to see different grant projects flow through the heritage area, that detailed history that I knew about that I grew up, you know, living a part of my, you know, my entire life. So, um, you know, being a part of those organizations really made it accessible for me. So the last several years, you know, I've just made a concerted effort to, you know, become an expert in this space and try and help empower other people to do the same thing. May, how did you get into preservation? I moved to Savannah. I moved to historic Savannah. I didn't know anything about historic buildings, um, but I started becoming curious just based on the absolutely breathtaking architecture of my area. And I um, started taking classes in historic preservation trades at the local technical college, really just for fun. And now it's a second career for me. Um, It's the most beautiful thing I've ever done. I'm very glad to have found this this industry. And Repurpose Savannah has a particular focus on job training. What is your mission? Yes. Well, we, we particularly focus on training women plus. So that's women, women, women identified trans non-binary humans, folks who find themselves on the outside of the traditional, we would call it a male-dominated industry that is construction and demolition industry. So Repurpose Savannah, we look at repurposing all the aspects of a historic building, anything that might typically find its way to a landfill. How can we capture that and bring it back into the reuse cycle? And how can we use that as an opportunity to train people on the outside for careers in a brilliant industry? And in particular, working with women, what assumptions do people make about women working in the trades? 
Oh my gosh. Well, I got to say it's constantly changing and it's growing, although we have a long way to go. But the assumptions are are what you would think, that women don't belong in the industry, that women don't want work in the industry. That's absolutely not true. That women aren't capable of using tools to, or developing the same skills as their male counterparts. We, of course, know that that's absolutely untrue. Women are very adept um, and very eager to gain access to these wonderful careers, to gain skills um, and to produce and contribute to the field. This is On the Record. I'm Sheila Cast speaking with May Boley, executive director of the Georgia company Repurpose Savannah, and Darius Johnson, who's studying preservation at Goucher College. We're talking about preparing the next generation of preservationists and tradespeople. Darius, what power do you think mentorship and apprenticeship have to help broaden the diversity of people working in historic trades? Oh, I think it's everything. You know, I've had the opportunity to do hundreds of hours of outreach to students and teachers in construction and design fields um, throughout the state of Maryland and really throughout the Northeast corridor of this country. And so many of the conversations that I've had, the interest in this field is, is there. But what's not often clear is the pathway to getting into this career space and also being able to stick within that career space because, you know, Trades are, it's a tough field. You know, it's tough on your body. It's tough on your mind. You know, you're going to take some lumps and bumps. Um, and then when you add, you know, the heritage aspect on top of it, it can also get even more complex. So when it comes to mentoring, I think that mentoring aspect and that storytelling aspect about the value of the trades and the value of historic preservation, those things are really the hook that really gets folks engaged and seeing this as a real possibility as a career for them. But then it's the apprenticeship structure that really gives, you know, that process and that pathway into the field. And, you know, if that apprentice can get paired with a good mentor who's been around the block and understands the lay of the land on the job site um, and even beyond the job site, interacting with clients, you know, starting a business, things like that, you know, it makes it a little bit easier for that apprentice to turn this into a career that sustains for them and their families. Mentorship is everything. You earned a scholarship through the National Trust for Historic Preservation, a nonprofit in D.C. The scholarship supported your research into the preservation challenges facing rural black churches. What did you find? Oh, man, it's a it's an ongoing project for sure. Um, but but it was interesting. So the Preserving Black Churches Fund is a fund out of the African-American Cultural Heritage Action Fund with the National Trust. And um I mean, big picture wise, out of a lot of the grant projects that came through, one of the main challenges is the planning work that needs to happen to even understand if a you know preservation project for a church is feasible. So when you have these rural black churches, um, they're already isolated from, you know, so many forms of capital, you know, actual, you know, financial capital funding to get projects done. But then also, you know, the social capital and then the professional expertise to execute some of the complex work that has to happen on these projects, whether it's a roof replacement, uh, stabilizing a steeple or something like that. Um, So with a lot of these grants that came through, the planning area was something that a lot of the churches could use a lot of help in. And a lot of that planning really can be supplemented by having good access to professionals who who are knowledgeable about the work that needs to happen and um, having those folks be engaged throughout the project as they put those grants together. So um, 
yeah, planning planning is a big issue. Um, the interest is always there, but just understanding what needs to go into a project, how to execute it, how to you know properly manage the timeline and the funding that comes through to push it forward. That's something that a lot of the rural black churches need to support in. May, what should people know about the breadth and potential of careers in the field of historic trades? Oh, gosh, there really there really are quite a lot. I think there's something for everybody in the historic trades. There, There's plenty of research to be done. There's plenty of storytelling to be done. As Daria said, the storytelling is such an important part of the heart of why we care about this work. Who were the humans that were attached to it? But in addition to that, there is the very intense physical aspect of it as well. There's taking whole buildings apart with crowbars. That's very intense physical labor all the way down to the very fine and careful aspects of the historic trades, things like fixing um, stained glass or or repairing fine finishes on historic buildings that are a little, that are a little more precious, careful, and precise. I'm excited about what you both told us. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Darius Johnson is pursuing a graduate degree in preservation at Goucher College. May Boley is executive director of Repurpose Savannah. At the On the Record page, WIPR.org, we have more information about the Campaign for Historic Trades and Preservation Maryland. I'm Sheila Cass. Glad you're with us. On the Record, come back tomorrow 